Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Hey Connect, so good to be with you all this morning. If we haven't met yet, my name's Chris. Get to serve as the pastor on the team here. And just thrilled that you decided to join us today as we continue our epic series. And I'll show you a little bit more about that series in a moment, but uh, there's, a, there's a phrase that I've heard a lot that I wanna share with you. Maybe you've heard it too. It's kind of popular right now in the whole leadership space. And the phrase goes something like this. Leadership is influence and everyone has influence. So everyone's a leader. And there's like truth to this statement because as a parent, as a grandparent, you do have tremendous influence in little people's lives. Maybe you're a teacher or a coach and there are people who are looking to you to guide them. Or maybe you lead a team or lead a group here with Connect and there are people who are watching how you live out your faith. We've been given influence, sometimes leadership, And what do we do when we find ourselves with others looking to us? Well, we look to others. At least that's what I do. Like as a young parent, I ask seasoned parents how I should raise my kids. As a pastor, I'll hop on a Zoom call or phone call with a mentor to seek their wise advice. And there is like wisdom in looking to others for insight as others are looking to us. But even more than given any kind of leadership influence, you know what's fundamental, like just core to who we are as people? It's not leadership, it's not influence. We're actually wired to follow. We're wired to follow. As a kid, we would play follow the leader. As a kid, we'd look to our parents, our teachers, our coaches to guide us. Even as adults, who do we look to? Well, we look to our boss or we look to our pastor or our president. And if we don't like said leader, we quit our job. We change churches. We move to Canada. That's what we say, right? I've never met someone who actually did be like a lot of work. It's easier to complain, just elect another one in four years, but I digress. What it gets at is this fundamental question, this nagging question. It's really core to our human condition. And the question is this, who will lead us? Who will lead us? People have been wondering this for thousands of years, and today we're gonna look at God's answer to this nagging question. And in my experience, his answer is the only answer that's truly satisfied. If you got a Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to Deuteronomy 17. We're gonna start in verses 14 through 20. We're gonna look at a bunch of passages today, look at a large swath of history, but we're gonna start there. If you need a Bible, you can of course follow along in our app and take notes there. Now, throughout this epic series, what we've been doing is tracking with the story of God through scripture and seeing how God intends to intersect our story. And what we saw was back in the beginning, God created everything and he is the ruler of all. His word is authoritative. And then we saw him call a people to himself and then he freed that people from slavery in Egypt, flexing, proving that 
He, not Pharaoh, he is the one true God. He is king. He rules over all. And then, as a good king, what did God do? Well, he gave his people laws to live by. This is what it looks like to be a part of my kingdom. And then, right before his people are about to enter into their land, the land of Canaan, they knew it as the promised land, right before they're about to enter in, God reminded his people of who he is, how they relate with him, and how they should live with one another. He reminded them of the law. And in that reminder, God revealed his will for the leadership of his people. And that's where we're going to start as we seek to answer this question, who will lead us? But before we get there, let's pray and let's ask that God would speak to us this morning. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it documents and records your story. And thank you that you do want to intersect our story. Would you do that even right now here in this place? As we open your word, would you speak? Would you reveal your will to us? In Jesus' name, amen. So Deuteronomy 17, God proactively lays out his leadership plan for his people. And it goes like this, verse 14. When you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settle in it. And you say, let us set a king over us like all, all the nations around us. Okay, wait a sec. Israel wasn't supposed to be like the other nations. We've seen this earlier in the series. That wasn't God's plan for his people. His people were supposed to be different, distinct. They're a holy nation. They're set apart. Other nations are supposed to look at the nation of Israel and be like, I want what they have. Chief of which being a relationship with God. While all the other nations, they all have human kings. God was Israel's king. And yet, God knew what's in the heart of people, and he knew that they would one day want a human king. So in his foreknowledge, he set forth, hey, this is what it's going to look like. This is what it should look like when you ask for a king. And, and here's the description he gives. It's good for us to pay attention to because, well, it's a good role description for even a leader today. Verse 15. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Excuse me. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. Here we learn the king must be a godly person. It's the first criteria. You see, to lead the people of God, that leader has to be from the people of God. Continuing, verse 16. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver or of gold. Okay, in the ancient Near East, what kings would do is they would want to acquire horses because horses helped you win battles. Kings would marry women from foreign lands because that was a mode of diplomacy. And if you were a successful king, you acquired a whole lot of riches. That's what was normative for all the kings of their day, but that was not going to be the case for Israel's kings. That was not God's plan for them. Why? Why, are Israel, why is Israel king supposed to be different from all these other kings? Because two, they're supposed to trust God, not oneself. 
The success of Israel's king and thus the nation of Israel wasn't dependent upon their king's bravado, that king's greatness. Their success was to be dependent upon God's grace. So, Israel's king needs to be a godly person, needs to trust God and not oneself. And then the third explanation is fleshed out as follows. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he has to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and, he's, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees." and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left, then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Basically, the king three should be yielded to God above all else. The, the leader of God's people has to humbly seek God and then in the seeking, follow God going to seek God's will and way, and then he's going to follow God's will and way. And as he's following, those who he's leading should be following God's will and way too. This was God's plan, his purpose for, you know, a human king in Israel. So to recap, God's going to look for someone who's a godly person, trusting God, not oneself, and is yielded to God above all else. Those are good things for us to look for in our leaders too. So, how did it all play out for God's people? Well, as a king leads up his people into battle, God victoriously led his people to take the land of Canaan, the promised land. And God's people settle in the land, things are good, and then for about 300 years, they just went through this cycle of, of rebelling, and then God would send a judge to point his people back to him. And then they'd be like, oh yeah, 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 we gotta get it right. And then, then they'd rebel again. And then they'd go through this whole cycle. God appointed dozens of judges over this 300 year period in Israel's history. And this verse from the end of the book of Judges really summarizes this whole time in their history. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. At this point in their history, there's a question that surfaces. And the question is this, will God's kingship ever be fully embraced by his people? Will God's kingdom ever be fully established? Well, eventually all of this came to a head. And it came to a head under Samuel. He was the judge that God had appointed at the time. To, to kind of lead his people. God was the king, but Samuel was the judge. And well, here's how it went down. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 8. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Okay, remember, that's not the goal. Israel's desire to have a king and be like all the other nations was not God's desire. He wanted to be their king. God's purpose was for him to rule and reign over his people and for other nations to see them and want God to rule and reign over them as well. The, the people of God aren't supposed to blend in with everyone else. The people of God are a light to the nations, something that we could be reminded of today. 
Continuing, verse 6, But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they're doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Israel's request for a king was in direct rejection of God as their king. The God who freed them from slavery in Egypt, the God who provided for them when they were wandering around in the desert, the God who victoriously gave them their land. They're rejecting their king. Now, before we think that we're better than they were, we reject God too, don't we? And we replace him with something else. Maybe we look to a professor to answer all of our questions, or we place a pastor on a pedestal of perfection, or maybe it's we just look to our president as our only hope for peace. Only problem is God alone knows all, God alone is perfect, and God alone is our source of peace. In any time, anyone or anything is on the throne of our hearts except for God. Our problems are not mitigated. They're magnified. What that might look like is if we do look to a professor for all of our answers and the, the professor can't give us a satisfying answer, then we're, we're discouraged, we're disappointed. Maybe we start to deconstruct things. When our, our perfect pastor is not so perfect, we grow disillusioned with the church. Even worse, we grew disillusioned with Jesus. When our, our president doesn't fall through on his plan for peace, we're yet again disappointed, hung out to dry. Because anytime anyone or anything is on the throne of our lives except for God, our problems are not gonna be mitigated, they're magnified. Now, God had Samuel forewarn his people that a king, a human king, is not gonna be all that they think he's gonna be. But, well, let's just read. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles as if God hadn't been doing that for them. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. So Samuel appointed Saul as the first king of Israel. And Saul was handsome and tall. He's the kind of guy you'd want to be your king. And he started off really well. You could say he had a good first 100 days. He, he started off strong, but you know, then it happened. He started to force his will and way instead of yielding to God's will and way. The opposite of what God wanted for a king, as we just read in Deuteronomy 17. Now, moreover, Saul's leadership wasn't characterized by trust in God. It was characterized by personal insecurity. Now, it's a hard lesson for us to learn, but human kings, human leaders, they, they fail us. Saul failed in his leadership of the Israelites, uh, failed leaderships all over the headlines today. I, I've experienced failed leadership. I actually experienced it in a place I least expected it. I uh, end, of, end of my time at CCU, 
last semester, senior year, looking for a pastoral position, but still wrapping up my classes, I had a practical theology class. And what was different about that class is it wasn't led by professors, it was led by two pastors in town, an executive pastor and a student ministry pastor. And between the two of them, they had decades of ministry experience. And they had the stories of life change to, to follow suit. I mean, I didn't just look up to them, I wanted to be like them. So when they offered me the middle school director position at their church, I jumped on it. I'm like, I, I want to follow in their wake. I want to learn from them. And it wasn't just months into that role, only a couple weeks after I had gotten married. And my senior pastor pulled me into his office to tell me that the executive pastor had just been fired for a moral failing. You see, practical theology just got real because his son was in my youth group. In, in the months that followed, I wanted to quit. I was done. Not interested in doing this. And it actually wasn't because of that situation, as hard and as, as challenging as navigating that was. I wanted to quit because of how I was being treated by that student ministry pastor I reported to. So if, if you find yourself in a position where, where you're under an insecure leader, I want you to know this, I get it. I get it, it's not God's best, but he can still work even in the midst of a hard situation. You see, even when, when human leaders fail us, God's purposes can still prevail. They do still prevail. That's the hope that we have, that even when life is hard, God's purposes will prevail. I experienced that coming out of that season, and I'm, I'm sure if you look back at your life, while it might have been super hard in the moment, if you look back, you'll look back and you'll see, you know what? There was some good that was accomplished even amidst the mess. I love that about God. I love that he can take even the worst of situations and redeem them and bring something good from it. Now, Samuel, Samuel was the lucky guy to have the hard conversation with Saul. And when he had that conversation, here's how he did it. This is from uh, 1 Samuel 13. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Shortly after this, God sent Samuel to appoint the next king, to anoint the next king. The king wasn't going to take the throne immediately, but when Saul died, this person was going to become king. And when Samuel was there with Jesse and all of his sons, and God told him, hey, one of these sons is, is going to be the one, this is what God told Samuel. Because this is what matters to God. This is from uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. It's like we've been there. We've tried that. It didn't work. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When looking for who will lead us, it's tempting to look at outward appearances. That's the normal approach. But when we are looking for who should lead us, we should look at their heart because that's what God looks at. The heart of the leader is way more important than the outward appearance of the leader. 
Because God can do far more good through a leader whose heart is yielded to him than even the most gifted leader can do apart from God. Now, after that brutal start to pastoral ministry, I had a privilege of serving under two incredibly godly leaders. They trusted God. They were yielded to God in all that they did. Scott Tobby, Larry Strondack, incredible guys. Scott, in particular, was very prayerful, not just in his own, his own personal life, but he led us as a staff team to not just pray before meetings. That's what expected in church. No, we would pause mid-meeting when we came to a standstill or a challenge or a need arose, and we would just pray right then and there. We would do it in meetings. We would do it in conversations. Prayer was normative, kind of like Jesus' ministry. And then Larry, Larry just loved like Jesus. You know how Jesus would, would just be present with whoever was right in front of him? That's what Larry would do to a fault. Like Larry would just love you so well. He'd care for you, listen to you, drop whatever he was doing and be fully present. And, you know, I learned more from Scott and from Larry than any class I've ever taken, conference I've been to, book I've read, podcast. I learned more from them just by following them than in any other context. And neither of them are leadership gurus. They just love Jesus and they led like him. And the reason I look back fondly on that time is because that God used them to shape me to be more like him, to be more like Jesus. So when a, a leader's heart is aligned with God's heart, God's got big plans for that leader. He's, he can use that influence in tremendous ways. Now, like any leader worth his salt, David, when David became king, David's the second king of Israel, the one Samuel anointed. When David became king, he had big plans. He was going to build a house for God. He was going to be the one who built the temple that God would dwell in. That's what David planned to do. But what separated David from Saul and from many leaders is that while David had plans, David yielded his plans to God's plan. You see, he told Nathan, a prophet, he's like, this is my plan. I'm going to build this house for God. And Nathan initially was like, yeah, go for it, man. And then God spoke to Nathan to speak to David. And this is what God had Nathan tell David. 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 16. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you've gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did in the beginning. And I've done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people, Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him. 
as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. <laughs> as only God would. You know, David, David's got plans to build a house for God, but God's like, no, no, no. I've got plans to build a house for you. I'm going to establish your throne. I'm going to make your name great. Just like he had promised to Abraham. He's like, I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to establish this throne. And it's going to endure forever, generation upon generation. Now, everything God said, it came to pass. Not because David was a perfect leader. David was far from perfect. David slept with another man's wife and then had the man killed to cover up his sin. David was a passive father and his family was a mess. David was far from perfect. But what distinguished David from Saul and from many other kings was that while David had turned from God and he had sinned, he also repented of his sin and he turned back to God. Because he's a man after God's own heart and God wants the heart of the leader. God can do a lot with a heart that's yielded to him. When David did die, just as God said, his son, Solomon, became king. And Solomon started strong as well. He asked God for wisdom. God gave him wisdom. God gave him more than wisdom. God gave him wealth. And Solomon did what David wanted to do. Solomon built the temple. And it was this incredible time High, you know, I got one of those you know, mountaintop moments for God's people. The temple, they're praising God. Everything's good. But you know what? Solomon let sin creep in. And that led to his downfall. First Kings 11 documents Solomon's downfall. As I read this, have in the back of your mind what God said in Deuteronomy 17, because Solomon totally dropped the ball if Deuteronomy 17 is the job description of a king for God's people. Listen to this. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will sh surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his, heart, uh, turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And he did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. Solomon's outright disobedience to what God had commanded in the law ultimately led to Solomon's downfall and the division of the kingdom. Solomon was the last king of Israel before it became two separate entities. Israel maintained the name Israel in the north and then Judah in the south. And what we see over time is that there just was king after king after king, and some of them were okay, but most of them, if you were just to flip through first and second kings in your Bible, what you're gonna read again and again is that the king did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
The king did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And as goes the leader, so goes the people. It got, became such a mess. The idolatry was rampant. The sin was all over the place. It was such a mess that eventually God kicked them out of the land that he gave them and they found themselves as a people in exile. And that's where we're going to pick it up next time. But for the remaining time we have today, who will lead us? Like today, who will lead us? The, the answer is actually revealed in the Christmas story. Luke 1 tells us, When the angel came to Mary, said this, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus is the only king who's ever fulfilled God's role description for a king. Okay, he had an advantage. Not only was he a godly person, he was God. But what we also see in Jesus' life is that he trusted God. He prayed regularly, even to the point of yielding to the Father's will. In the garden, before he went to the cross, he prayed, God, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus yielded to the Father's will, even when it meant his death. And you know what Scripture teaches? Scripture teaches that Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Today, I might translate that as Jesus was the leader of leaders. Who will lead us? Jesus will lead us. But will you follow him? Will you follow him? While human leaders fall short, Jesus followed through. While human leaders disappoint us, Jesus inspires us. And having followed leaders who have both disappointed me and leaders who have pointed me to Jesus, now when I find myself in a position of influence, could be as a husband, a dad, a pastor, when I find myself with any semblance of influence, my prayer, my goal, my aim is to be able to say what the Apostle Paul said. You see, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, he wrote this, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is the essence of leadership in the kingdom of God. This is what it's all about. The best leaders are actually the best followers, followers of King Jesus. And if we forget who we're following, we're going to forget why we are leading at home, in the community, at work. So, if you find yourself raising kids, you have students following you, maybe you coach them, or, or maybe you are leading a group here at church. If you have people following you, may you too be able to say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And to do that, it starts with what you would expect, follow Jesus. You got to follow Jesus. We got to, you know, left to our own devices, we're not godly people. We're sinful people. We can't even be in the presence of God. But Jesus forgives our sins, washes us clean. And if we will repent and no longer walk in that direction of sin, if we would instead turn, receive Jesus' forgiveness, and follow him forward, God can do some pretty cool things. But it's also going to require that we trust in God, not oneself.
It's easy, it's tempting to trust our own abilities or even to look to others as the answer. But we already know Jesus is the only one who will truly satisfy, who will truly deliver on his promises. So we gotta trust in God in three, we gotta yield to God. To go God's way, we have to know God's way. And to know God's way, you gotta read God's word. I can't tell you how many times I've sat across the table from somebody at coffee and they're like, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out God's will for my life. And I'll be like, so what are you hearing him say in scripture? And they're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not reading scripture. No kidding you were still wondering what you're supposed to do. Like God has told us. And until he tells us something different, look at his word. It's got plenty of marching orders here. And even when he tells us something different, it's not gonna contradict what we see in his word. So may we look to God's word to discover his will. And we, we, we also sound like Jesus in our prayer. Would we pray that God's kingdom would come, that his will would be done here? And when, when our will and his will conflict with one another, may we yield to his will. Not my will, but yours be done. You know, when it all comes down to it, it's really kind of like that game that we played as a kid. Follow the leader. Except now we know that when looking for leadership, look to Jesus, because he is the leader of leaders. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it reveals your, your leadership, your influence in our lives and over our lives. And would you help us to follow you? Would you help us to, to steward, to, to lovingly use any kind of influence you would give us to point people to you, Jesus? Thank you for following through where we fall short. Thank you that you are always good and that we can trust you. We trust you today. We, we, we celebrate you. We praise you, King Jesus, in your name. Amen.